Uh, Sean Rochester. Um, I'm the CEO of uh, Good Steward um, LLC, uh, as well as a couple of other companies. This, this, is, this is Diversified, diversified game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have Sean Rochester, and he is the founder of Good Steward, and this is a book, he has courses, he's also does some other companies, we'll see what we can get out of him, and you know, all of his things, he might be the one who's going to take over Alibaba, now that Jack Ma has been silenced, who knows, but Sean, welcome to the show, how are you doing today? I'm doing uh, fantastic. Great to be on with you. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Well, I'm I'm happy to have the conversation and thank you for coming on. If you could lead us in into what your company is doing and what the black tax, the black tax.com, all the links will be in the description box, folks, what that is all about. So we're, we're engaged in aspects of trying to help close the wealth gap. So there are portions of the company that work with kind of what we call personal financial uh, management, which is how to handle, manage and grow your limited resources to be able to drive, you know, cash flow, eliminate debt, kind of leave a legacy uh, for your children's children. Um, Another aspect is really focused on how do we uh, ensure that, um, you know, we are placing capital with with, uh, black businesses to to the extent that we can assist with that you know, driving contracts, as well as educating uh, people about the economic impact of, you know, creating jobs, business, and providing capital in affordable um, and accessible ways across the greater Black community. So are you actually after a two-term Obama presidency and one of the greatest presidents in the world, Trump, saying that Black people aren't being treated fair? Sean, I'm trying to throw you off doing my best <laughs> Jesse Lee Peterson impression. But um, the blacks, uh, but no, tell us, you know, that is, you know, you know, for those who might feel like a Jesse Lee Peterson or that things are all fair. And this is, you know, America after we, you know, got Juneteenth as a national holiday and that's all we need. Tell us where is the black community as a whole? What is, you know, lacking and what mm-hmm. the solution is? Yeah, so really big questions. Um, So we can, you know, black community owns about 2% of uh, U.S. wealth. Um, We're we're missing about 1.4 million jobs, uh, 1.4 million businesses with employees. Um, Most people don't realize, but there's 2.56 million or so black businesses. Um, Only 4% of them are large enough to have employees. That 4% generates about 70% of all the revenues, right, from black business employs about a million people. Um, it's about 109, maybe 110,000 of those companies, but we're missing about 1.4 million of those. And pre-COVID, we're, we're already missing uh, 6 million you know, jobs associated you know, with that across the broader you know, Black community. But then, of course, you have the enormity of, of the gap in wealth or the wealth gap that people kind of talk about, which is about $841,000 from with respect to the mean 
uh, black family wealth relative to mean white family wealth. If you apply that across 17 million business, 17 million households, it's about $14 trillion as a size of the gap. So those gaps in jobs, business, and capital and wealth, right, obviously drive about almost all the socioeconomic problems, you know, that, that we see today uh, and that we, you know, experienced broadly in the past. Okay, so we have, you know, the lack and we have, you know, now COVID and things are opening up. There are certain jobs that have, you know, always been in need. I mean, there's a 2 million plus nursing shortage. What do we need to do as a people to, you know, like get in the gap? Because if even 100,000 of us you know, got jobs, nursing jobs at 60,000, you know, average, which isn't a bad salary, but it's surely not the peak for just your regular RN. We'd be looking at over 6 billion in a community. So can we not go get those jobs? Are those jobs being denied us or, you know, does it start somewhere different? Because I I want you to give the audience, you know, your solution. So they go grab your book in the courses and say, it's not just the complaining, this is the solution. Yeah, so the, the solution is under a framework that I call PhD. And that framework stands for purchase, hire, and deposit in ways that create jobs, create and expand business, and provide capital in a black community. That that framework, right, is directly stimulative to job creation, business formation and expansion, and capital availability and affordability, right? So when when you start to talk about um you know, closing these these various gaps, there's a, there's a number of things that you have to discuss, right? One of the things that we have to discuss is there are actually very high levels of, of anti-Black bias, right? That have a distorting impact on commerce. They have a distorting impact on hiring, on advancing, on promotions, and a whole host of things, right? And it's in almost very few people even take this into consideration when they're coming up with their plans and policies and programs. So what, what do I mean by really high levels of, of anti-Black bias? So if you go back to like a study that was done 2012, they looked at, this, at uh, bias, anti-Black bias across the American electorate. So, you, you know, you had a ton of uh, organizations, the Associated Press, you had Michigan and Chicago, Stanford, a bunch of different, you know, institutions involved in that. And what they found was from a, a conscious bias perspective, like, you know exactly what you're doing the levels uh, was about 51%. That's one in two, right? In terms of unconscious or implicit, like you don't mean to, but you're still having this this impact, anti-Black bias impact, it's about 56%, almost six in 10. Those are really, really high levels and that's across the American electorate. And if you look at work done by Harvard, they have something called the implicit association test or the IAT test, it's free, you could take it online, right? You can just kind of, you know, Google it. Um, and take it, it's a great way of teasing out uh, implicit or unconscious bias. Short version is for the millions and millions and millions of people who've taken that test, on average, it tends to be about a 75%. They actually call it automatic white white preference, which is a a wonderful way of characterizing anti-black bias. So about 75% of people who take that test have automatic white preference. If you look inside the category of those folks who are just white, it's about 85%. An automatic white preference, they say empirically, you know, can lead to discriminatory, you know, behavior. So the levels of biases are quite high, right? <clears throat> so that's going to show up in, 
you know, a number of things I talk about in, in a book in terms of, you know, um, high-end careers and promotion and how people uh, evaluate your work product and, and, a, and a bunch of different things. So <clears throat> that's going to show up in the healthcare industry, and it obviously does, right, in, in terms of the quality of care and the way the care is, is addressed. So, so you have that aspect of it. But then you also have the aspect of, you know, uh, do millions of our young people know about the possibilities of nursing, as an example, right? You kind of brought that up. There's also software, right? You know, uh, engineering, but it's a hundred thousand dollar, a hundred thousand gap in terms of, you know, black, you know, software engineers. Do, do our young people even kind of know that these, these um, careers exist, right? And it's very hard uh, for them to know when you have significant uh, numbers of black families uh, that are living in either deep poverty or close to poverty, right? And they, and they don't have these folks in their ecosystems and then have investments been made, right, from, you know, K through 12 uh, to university to help shepherd people and guide people along the route of developing the skill set uh, to be able to fill these positions, right? And do we have offtake partners that are ready to employ those folks as those skill sets, right, uh, have been developed and, and are met. It's it's a full kind of ecosystem approach that needs to be employed to be able to close these gaps. Not just saying, "Hey, these jobs are missing," and and you know, black people should just should just do it. Um, you you have to invest right uh, in the pathways that actually lead to those outcomes. And who should invest? Because. <laughs> You know, you'll hear folks say invest in yourself and that, you know, my wife and I went to HBCU, actually went to the Harvard of the South, HBCU, Grambling State University. You know, we have to throw it out like that. But you see so many people doing arts and where the science department is saying we have scholarships Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's across the board, not just at HBCUs. So how do we, you know, tell our kids or some of those who have grandkids to say, stop going for liberal arts, stop going for leisure studies. You yourself have some serious degrees from some serious universities that you know you know finance. Um, what can we do to lead ourselves? Because we can't expect the government, because it's really not their position in any government globally to say, unless you're Cuba, right? Or somewhere you know that's dictating this is what you guys are going to do. What can we do as a community? Because I want to put it on us first, extreme ownership. What can we do to say, we're going to train our, our kids to do these things for jobs that are actually will hire them? Yeah. So I think there, there needs to be kind of balance in that, in that, in that kind of framework. Be, be very careful about extreme ownership when, when you on average have 2% of U.S. wealth, right? And all of these outcomes that you're talking about are directly proportional to wealth levels. So, you know, you, you have an ecosystem effect. First is like the environmental effect, which is in your household, in your area, in your community, what are the things that you believe and value and, uh, and, and how are those things kind of propagated, right? You got to talk about it in your household. You have to talk about it in, in, in the community, the norms may not be focused on STEM-related things in communities that, that are kind of deeply, um, you know, impoverished, right, or dealing with all kinds of, of stressors, where it's not the natural flow. You don't see these people. You don't talk to them, you know, very, very frequently. Your extended family may not be comprised of, of these individuals. So you need to have something that's dedicated that gets to make you aware of this, where other communities 
you know, have that, you know, happening more, more naturally, right? You have to have a, comp- a continued emphasis and focus on, you know, kind of high growth, high earning, you know, careers. Um, and, and you're kind of, we're tasking people who, who haven't had that experience and have really been precluded from it, from past discriminatory behavior that was actually government sponsored. Um, you know, you know, you know what I mean? So it's it, the solution is different for where you are along the social strata, right? If, if you look at kind of, you know, uh, wealthier, you know, African-Americans, you're going to see that that's less the case. There's much more uh, folks that are going to be leaning towards STEM because you have, you know, more people that are in it and, and it's a kind of a focus area and, and folks have the resources to spend more right? The well-to-do spend nine times more on education with their children than those that don't have the resources, even if the desire, right, is, is the same. So we do have to have, you know, the responsibility as, as families, but it's hard to talk about what you don't know about, right? You know, I went all the way through university and I, I never knew about investment banking, right? I, I never heard about, you know, Goldman Sachs. I, I never heard about McKinsey and Company. Um, and I, I was young, I was hungry, you know, but you, you can't kind of do what you don't know. So part of it is informing people on a, a continual basis. Then the other part of it is ensuring that the gaps can be bridged. In well-to-do communities, you can send your kids off to STEM camps, right? Um, you can, you can, uh, they can go to universities. Um, they can spend time, you know, with, with uh, relatives. The school system may have it already embedded into it because the school system is funded by property values, which got augmented by government investment, right? From 19, you know, uh, you know, late early 30s, right up until late 60s. So th- there, there's a lot um, that that kind of needs to be done. It's a, a ecosystem approach to help bridge bridge those gaps. We certainly do need to um, have ownership, and there's no question about that. I think responsibility has always been placed on 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 black people, but there is. there is the role of environment and there is the role of resources and you can have great plans and desires, but if you have limited resources, your ability to execute those plans, right, are extraordinarily difficult. And so I I like that because it's solution-based. It's like if you're having a problem with your iPhone and it's causing a problem in your relationship, you know, throw out the iPhone, you know, Cynthia and other folks, they'll tell you that you know um and if you can a, purchase if you can get buy a new one it's not a problem right <laughs> but but if you can't now we got to find some workarounds right now we're dealing with inefficiencies now we're missing important calls right now we're getting a gap between desire right and opportunity and properly executing and stuff like that that's a lot of noise that can be economically quite damaging it definitely could, and I, but I'm old enough, and, and you may be too, to remember when we didn't have these these fancy gadgets, right? And we keep making our lives quicker, but also making them more complicated. Some may say I, I, I kind of love technology, so I might go argue that. What can a parent do right now? Because someone like yourself, who you know your PhD method, the purchase, hire, and deposit <clears throat> method. What got you to go to some of these great schools and great programs? What was done differently for you? So folks can have a blueprint to say, okay, do they need to go to this school or will, you know, the free school in our city work until my child, you know, the junior college, they get enough credits. Like what made you stand out? 
So let me kind of talk about two things. I'll talk a little bit about my situation, but then in general, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you want to go to the highest quality opportunity at the lowest cost, right? No, no matter what, what that is. And you can take like a junior college route all the way through, and that can be extremely economically efficient to do that, right? The cost is relatively low. There's Pell Grants and things like that that will offset that cost. But wherever you go and whatever you do, you have to perform at the highest levels, right? Because performance gets funded. Mediocrity gets the privilege of borrowing. You, you know what I mean? So that's, that's non-negotiable at that point. Right. So if you if you take that path, you can do exceptionally well. And there's many people who kind of do that. You know, I'm fortunate in that, you know, I'm originally from uh, Barbados. Right. And I went to school, public school system in New York City, um, you know, elementary school. And after that, I actually went back to Barbados and stayed there. It wasn't the plan. I just kind of liked it because, you know, things can go sideways real quick in a city, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean, where you, where you don't have that kind of energy, uh, you know, down there. And I, and I stayed and I got put in to this great school called the Kamramir School that I could have really never gotten into. So I'm kind of like a walking experiment, the same kid in two different environments, very different outcomes. So pretty much just like the typical kid in New York City, it was behind on everything, you know, the state test scores and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't being a rebel, like nobody did homework. It wasn't a statement that you were making. It's just kind of how it was. But when I was in Barbados, it's just a totally different environment. Very, very rigorous. You know, it's everything is based on tremendously high regards of, of respect. You don't get credit for showing up. You don't get credit for, for anything. You just, you just had to perform. Um, and it took me a while to adjust. And I began to kind of rise to that level. So I got a really great foundational education there. Right. It's kind of like when people kind of send their kid to live with, uh, you know, a relative someplace else. Right. And in a kind of a stronger school district and they get the opportunity to become part of that environment and then to expand. Right. According to to the environment. So I got my kind of formative education there. So I was I was used to this concept of black excellence. That was normal for me. Right. Like like everybody was the troublemakers were smart. The athletes were smart. You know, you know what I mean? The social cool people were smart. There was no kind of distinction. You could be smart and all these kind of other things. Um, so, so that was great for me. That was the foundation. So when I came back here, it was easier to kind of propel uh, and maintain that, right? And then the work, honestly, here was just a lot less rigorous, right? So I, I didn't even have to work as hard, you know, to do, to do as well. But that's less me. Like, I, it's not because I'm special. I'm some super duper person. I'm, you know, I'm not, right? There were a ton of folks there that were really, really smart, right? What they didn't have was the opportunity to come back to this land of opportunity and to be able to deploy, you know, all, all that they, they learned, right? So I'm like, I'm a big proponent of we got to create new environments for these young people to be in, right? You can't take them out of trauma for six and a half hours when they go to school. And sometimes they're not out of trauma in some of these schools and then put them back into that situation. They, they need to be exposed to high quality levels of, of, of education and an environment that is, that is conducive and supportive, you know, of that. So we can see the true benefit, right? What they can actually do. We are not seeing what our young people can actually do. We're just seeing a product of the environments that they're coming from. I love the international aspect because immigrants keep this country rolling from every level, you know, 
top to bottom from it. And that's what America is, is an experiment. We hear so often people say, you know, coming from another country, how more serious the education was somewhere else. But I know you focused on a lot on, you know, the Caribbean, even Africa. Can you talk about what you do to build that bridge as well as the community give back that you are doing or that you plan on doing in the future for the communities that you serve? Yeah. So, you know, when I, you know, the, the PhD framework, right, is all about creating jobs, business and capital here. Right. You know, we need to do more business with our businesses and we need to encourage others from other communities to do more business with our businesses so that they it stimulates hiring. Right. Which is incremental spending so that it allows for it attracts capital so that we're creating wealth. Right. We, we need to do that without question here. Uh, and we're not doing a good job by any stretch of the imagination. That same thing needs to happen across the, the diaspora, right? Across the ecosystem. We need to be doing business, you know, in, in the Central and South America and, on, and across and on the continent, right? Across all of us so that we're actually creating jobs, right? And creating and, and expanding businesses and providing capital all across these ponds, right? We, we need to, to have stimulative job creating activity in all of these different areas and, and doing commerce, right, is the tip of the spear to be able to, to drive that, right? So we're always engaged in, you know, working with other businesses or individuals that are doing business, right, across the various, I call it across the pond, right? Uh, you know, so to speak, there's a lot that we need to do to bring awareness to people because we tend to see each other through European eyes. Like people don't really realize the level of development that's occurred, you know, across the, the continent, right? And they kind of see it as famine and war and risk and all that kind of stuff and not cities and opportunities and that people from every other place in the world are there, you know, doing, uh, doing business, right? And their opportunities in, in the Caribbean, Right. Um, as well. So it's important to educate people about about these things and then to make connections so that you're lining up folks who have the capital with folks who have the execution uh, prowess and with folks who have the opportunities. Right. Because it creates jobs for everyone. And I'm all about expanding, uh, you know, the pie in terms of, you know, you know, how to make a, a difference. You know, we've, we've always been very, very engaged in our in our community. Like, you know, my wife and I were part of a a, a nonprofit that over the course of our tenure with them gave out over $2 million, right, of scholarship money to Black high school students that were going off to university, right? So we're, we're always in, engaged in kind of living the, the practices and, and living the principles. So when possible, where possible, on your own account, on your business account, the influence that you have with your universities, with your elected uh, officials um, and nonprofits that you're a part of, make sure that we are doing business with high quality, you know, black service providers, right, um, to, to, to the fullest extent. So those are things that we, we practice on our own account and that we encourage as part of, you know, doing business. And I obviously, you know, do lots of different talks at various corporations and kind of encourage this behavior and activity. Um, as well as, you know, other you know, institutions. Now, for those who do have, you know, some extra money, and this is kind of a, I, I write courses on this for people, how to travel to Africa. Um, I think that more of us, especially if you have, you know, some type of savings, you go visit Africa, connect, you know, do your DNA if you so choose. And 
you can see like with geo arbitrage, how you can live like a king for, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month in most of, you know, the rest of the world, uh, especially on the continent in the 54, you know, and counting countries. What do you think about folks who say, I'm tired of the racism? I'm tired. I don't want to fight my whole life. I actually want to enjoy it. So going to Barbados, going to Jamaica, going to Cameroon, Kenya, that's going to help my mind and my pocket. Is that something that you could see in the near future for, you know, another revolution and saying we're tired, we're out of here, which is kind of a horror movie to many Americans because, you know, so much talent would leave. But we're seeing it little by little, people saying I'm tired. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people certainly that are going, you know, overseas, wh- whether it's either permanently or, you know, buying some property, engaging in business and exploring those opportunities. I, I think those are great things from a commercial aspect. And we need to have more of that happening, right? Uh, there is not enough commerce that's being done across the cont- continent at any level, right? The country is not doing enough by any stretch of the imagination. And certainly the individuals, you know, aren't. But, but at the end of the day, depend, no matter what you are trying to do, you've you got to make sure the fundamentals are in place, right? Which is, you know, are you, are you operating your personal and business affairs in, in, in a way, such a way to drive um, cash flow? Because if you don't have positive cash flow, the conversation is done. There's, there's no college, there's no home, there's no travel, there's, there's no anything, right? You got to make sure that we're in that position. Are we, are we operating in such a way where we are eliminating kind of debt from, from our personal account, or at least making it um, significantly more manageable than the levels that we wind up you know, having? And are we putting ourselves in a position where we're going to have enough assets, right, at retirement and in, in the future? Your your travels to other places should be part of that larger plan because that has to be funded, right? People sometimes don't realize that if, if you decide to go someplace new, that's great. How are you going to live there? Where is your base of income going to come from, right? Is it coming from you know, some type of job or service that you're providing? Is it coming from a business um, that you are engaged in? Or are you just drawing down resources, right? Because you're spending and not kind of earning income. These things need to be thought about deeply so you have the resources to actually go wherever it is that you want to go to be able to have the home, to invest in a business, kind of invest in the folks uh, that are there so you can have a life and a lifestyle that maintains you, you and your family. It could be at a lower cost structure, Right. But that really needs to be thought through um, well. Right. So we just don't over romanticize the situation and then wind up broke. Right. There are a lot of people who love to travel. I think it's great. Is it consistent with your budget? Right. Definitely, definitely. Right. You're engaged in an unsustainable kind of practice. So those fundamentals that, that I call soul, stewardship, ownership and legacy, they have to be in place regardless of what you do. And it becomes an enabler of the things that you now want to to invest in um, and, and augment. And if that's, you know, setting up shop in a different country, then, then more power to the person. And being and having a connection to Barbados, what would you say with, you know, folks love to romanticize. Chris Rock had a great joke about how Americans go to Jamaica, pass through the worst poverty they've never seen before go to a resort, come back to America and say, hey, Jamaica is beautiful, right? Because they never get off the resort. What would you say is a healthy budget for those who are thinking it's time for me to go explore and take you know, some of my savings, 
what are the, the things that you would say look out for because you don't want to run out of money and, and that would be embarrassing i've had it happen as a single person i couldn't have it happen as a married with, with kids but you know what would your advice be to someone thinking like that yeah it's it's, it's the same you got to have the stewardship ownership legacy i call that soul right you have to have that in place a lot of things are math problems right so you you, you got to break out the spreadsheet or or your kind of notepad and figure out what the costs and expense are to the best of, of your ability to make sure that you're in a positive cash flow situation no matter where you're going the other thing is you you really do need to have some relationships on the ground right some some people who can help you really think through you know where to live and how to interact and how things work and the cultural adjustments that you need to get get uh, familiar with and of course uh, what are you going to do with respect to healthcare education you know a number of different things that's important to really think through so you're you're really well prepared right and and relationships in, in countries and places where you're not from is golden right i mean you can just go and kind of set things up but but if you can form some relationships with people who can help you um, get up that curve faster so you can be more successful, um, then then that's absolute. Then the other mindset that I have is, you know, you need to have enough resources to engage. Right. And invest in, you know, the people, you know, in, in the community. I always feel like, you know, people should be happy that you're there and not indifferent to it. Right. And you do that by by making sure that your presence is having an economic effect, right, for those folks that are around there. I love that. And I love that your courses, one of your courses, I'm actually writing a course on, you know, how to be debt free, but um, there's so much that you can learn from people, even on the same topic. It's like the scriptures, you know, different, different pastor can tell you something deeper and, and go deeper with it. With you, with the debt free, what do you think is the number one debt that is holding back the black community in America. Oh man, it's it's it's. Uh, we'll talk about some of the debts, but it's more than just the debts, right? Um, you know, you of course have the cost of education, which has skyrocketed over the last forty years. I mean, I, I think the numbers was something like you know, forty years ago, you could probably went to Yale for like five, six, seven thousand dollars. You, you know what I mean? Now you're talking seventy thousand if you get a you're fortunate, right? If you go to some of these, you know, private schools, so the, the cost of education has obviously skyrocketed and it's, and it's burdened uh, young people with extraordinary levels of, of debt. Then you you have, you know, you have to, you have the cost of acquiring a car, right? And which is a massively depreciating asset, but it sends out such strong social cues about kind of who you are and you get all this, you know, feedback, right? From, from folks that tempts you to be, purchase more um, than you might otherwise be able to afford. You know, obviously even being blessed to be in a position, we have the resources to, to purchase a home, right? You, you know, uh, home ownership is really expensive, right? You know, you have all the operating costs associated with it and things that can go wrong. And then of course, depending on where you live, you might not have the appreciation over time. And predominantly black communities tend to have 18% less, you know, appreciation on the equity of their, their homes, all things being, being the same. So, so you've got a, a debt-fueled society, but then you've got people who are not starting with intergenerational wealth transfers or inheritance, right? So your, your buckets are empty. Like you have to fill the bucket in your particular generation while acquiring all of these things and accumulating the debt to, to do it. 
So it's it's extremely difficult, right? It's very difficult even for folks who who are not black, but when you are, you know, in, in the black community and, and collectively owning two percent of U.S. wealth, you know, and having you know two hundred dollars of disposable income, I mean, these these things become you know extraordinarily difficult for for the kind of the average person, which is why we have to be have a total focus on what I call stewardship, ownership, and and, and legacy when it comes to education. Um, you know, high performance is really critical because you, you'll get funded for that. It's easy for me to say perform well, right? That's very, very difficult to do if you don't have the resources, right? And if you don't have an environment to, to support that, but you will be scholarshiped, right? If you perform, you know, exceptionally well. <clears throat> and, and that's one huge way of, of reducing your educational costs, Right. And then, of course, as you mentioned rightly before, when you start thinking about higher compensation careers like STEM and the like, choosing those can add two to four million dollars to your lifetime earnings. So the choice of career on top of that <clears throat> is really, really, you know, um, critical. And it puts you in a position to have more flexibility to either start your own business or perhaps pool some resources and invest alongside you know, some of your friends and colleagues and, and the like. Well, I really appreciate this talk and I want the folks to make sure they go to your website. You guys, links will be in the description. He also has a YouTube. Google his name or YouTube his name. You'll see he spoke at, you know, Google. That video has over 1.2 million. I hope they gave him some money for that video. Uh, that's that's considered viral. And, you know, he's done it at universities. So I appreciate you. Anything you want to leave the people with, Sean? Um, yeah, I just, um, you, you know, uh, A, thank you for having uh, the conversation and for engaging in it and uh, for allowing your audience to, to take part in it. The things that we do, like as, as a people, like we Black people, we spend less than 2% of our own income on our own businesses, right? That is unsustainable. We, when possible, where possible, let's utilize high quality Black service providers. That's, it's not just t-shirts. It's not just restaurants. It's not just other things like that. I'm, I'm talking about cars. I'm talking about realtors. I'm talking about insurance agents. I'm talking about general contractors, you know, plumbers, electricians, really, really terrific wealth managers, accountants, lawyers, you know, when possible, let's, where possible, let's make sure we're utilizing you know, our high quality uh, service providers and encouraging other people in our ecosystem to do the same. We got to lead with economics, right? We got to have an impact on jobs, business and capital. And not only do we need to have more high quality jobs, that's great for earned income, but we have to apply this, this idea of soul, stewardship, ownership and legacy so we can turn that earned income into retained income. So that's the first step in wealth accumulation. <clears throat> Awesome. Well, you guys have gotten the game. I want to take this off air so I can thank Sean again and his great publicist, Cynthia Nacio Pinto. So we can talk about maybe some other dates with some clients of ours. Yes, I'm a publicist who loves PR folks, so we can all talk. So you guys, make sure you like, share, subscribe. Be blessed. Hi, everyone. Have you ever been curious about visiting Africa? Which African country were you interested in? Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda? South Africa, Ethiopia, which country are you interested in? My good friend, Kellen Cash Coleman, 
came up with a course called My First Trip to Africa that'll guide you through this process. It's only $20, and in this course, you'll learn about passports, visas, vaccinations that you need before you go there, as well as a budget, uh, how much the trip is going to cost. He also talks about what you should pack, uh, what you should take with you, how you should travel on a budget. Did you know that $100 US is worth a 1,000 South African rand? and over 10,000 Kenyan shillings. So imagine what you can do with $100 back home. I say back home because I'm from Sudan, I'm African, I already know how it's like. I know that you know when you convert Canadian and American money, it goes a long way when you're traveling across Africa. So if you're curious, um, if, if Africa is a place that you've always wanted to go, always want to move there, Kellen Cash is the person to ask. Check out the course. There's a little preview you can listen to um, before you actually purchase it. If you're interested in this course, visit www.diversifiedgame.com. Don't miss out. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.